Hello there. Thanks for joining us on the Christ Covenant Sermon Talkback. The Sermon Talkback is where pastors and members of Christ Covenant can process the sermon, ask questions, and more practically apply the content of the sermon. If you do have a question you would like to have dialogued, please use our text to pastor line at 404-465-1737. And if you'd like to find more resources, visit ChristCovenant.com slash resources. We hope you enjoy the discussion. Well, guys, I'm joined today by Barrett Fisher and John Posey for the Sermon Talkback. We started a new sermon series yesterday, um, and uh, we're talking about the Trinity, uh, the incarnation, um, the coming of Christ, the Advent season. We talk about the coming of the Lord in a lot of different ways, the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecy, we talk about just the actual, like, how did it happen? What does it mean to have the God-man? What does it mean that Jesus is fully God, fully man? We talk about the actual story, the Virgin Mary, the shepherds, the wise men. But I don't think that we talk that much about this being a Trinitarian act, that the Father sends the Son, that the Holy Spirit empowers the Son, that, that there's more going on than just the second person of the Trinity having some idea and saying, oh, I'm going to go redeem all of humanity. No, it was it was actually initiated love act by the Father. So um, those are, uh, that's kind of the, the premise of this series. Um, yeah, I'm curious y'all's thoughts just on yesterday, on, on this series as a whole. Um, I mean, is that something y'all have heard talked about a lot in a church context? Um, so, yeah. Well, I think you were making an interesting point of, as we were talking just before this, about how we say we believe in a Trinitarian God, and yet we kind of operate in a virtual, virtual Unitarianism. And so uh, maybe explain that a little bit, because I think that helps set up like why it's important to approach right. the Advent story from a Trinitarian perspective. Well, yeah, I mean, I think everyone, you know, in a Christian church is confessionally uh, Trinitarian, right? We believe in Father, Son, Holy Spirit. But we operate in what I would say a virtual Unitarian way. Like, do you have any sort of, is is the Father distinct at all? Is the Holy Spirit distinct? Is the Son distinct um, and how you know them and how you commune with them. Um, and it, so one of the ways I see this very often worked out in a church context is prayer, mm. right? So people will be praying to the Father <coughs> as we're modeled and commanded to by Christ. <coughs> and then they'll end the prayer, we pray in your name, right? Well, they probably mean we're praying in Jesus' name. Right, we're praying on behalf of the Son who appeals to us, who intercedes with us. We pray to you, mm. but they don't say that. They say we pray in your name because functionally, in their mind, the Father, the Son, Holy Spirit, it's all God. What does it really matter? And so, this is a good example mm. of confessionally Trinitarian, functionally Unitarian, and not understanding the members of the Godhead: Father, Son, Holy Spirit, yes. first person, second person, third person as distinct persons, equal in essence, but different in role and function. Yeah. 
Uh, yeah. Any, any thoughts you have, John? What, what? Yeah. I mean, that's a, when I think about the distinctiveness of the, of the Godhead, when you see Matthew chapter four is a good picture for that. When you see Jesus being baptized in the water and he comes out of the water and the, the Holy Spirit comes down on him and the father speaks and says, this is my beloved son. So it's a, really shows that distinction. And I think understanding that and functioning in that is you, 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 you reap the whole benefit of this amazing Godhead and yeah. how, and how, uh, how, how this can enrich your experience, you know, in walking with the Lord. And, and I think that the, the understanding the Trinity is actually the key to unlocking all of Christianity. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, for example, God is love. What does that mean? Well, it's not that God is just loving. No, God exists ontologically in love. The Father perfectly loves the Son. The Son perfectly loves the Spirit. The Spirit perfectly loves the Father, mm -hmm. all the way around the Trinity. And therefore, the essence of God's existence, because you have three persons who is one God, is love um even as i said the um the the atonement i mean the coming of christ the incarnation you have the father in heaven initiating love for humanity by sending his son jesus the second person mm -hmm. who's then empowered by the holy spirit of god all three members very involved in this but all doing something different on the cross, you have the Father punishing the Son for the sins of humanity. And he's not punishing the Son because he hates the Son. He's punishing the Son because he loves us. He loves the Son too, which makes his love for us all the more displayed. But he's willing to punish his own Son. His Son, Jesus, is willing to take on our sin and God's right judgment against our sin is carried out so that we then can enter into fellowship with Father and Son and Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. uh, you were mentioning earlier, John, um, entering into the presence of God. Yes. How do we enter the presence of God? How do we, how do we boldly approach God, right? How do we have the Holy Spirit of God indwelling us. I mean, that's something that Christians talk about so flippantly, mm. but it's such an amazing thing to believe mm. that the Holy Spirit of God literally indwells our hearts and lives. And what that means is the same Holy Spirit that on the Day of Atonement, you know, this morning I listened to Leviticus 16 on Our Daily Rhythm that Jeremy and I uh, had recorded. Um, the Day of Atonement, the high priest one day a year, Leviticus 16, could go in, not being indwelled by the Holy Spirit, but just go near the Holy Spirit, right? And it was with fear and trembling. And we can live our whole lives with the Spirit of God within us. How has that happened? It's happened because our sin, the guilt for our sin, the just punishment for our sin has been through faith transferred to Christ and his cross our sin has been cleared. The Father has forgiven us. And now the Spirit, we've, we're made so clean in the Father's judgment of us, which is in Christ righteous, that now the very Holy Spirit of God can come and dwell our lives without killing us. Hmm. That is an amazing thing to believe. And it's what we believe as Christians. 
Um, but the, the, the functional nature of the Trinity in the Christian life is the very thing that makes sense of the Christian life. And without it, you have a faith that doesn't really make a lot of sense. So I think it's something that I'm glad we're talking about this Christmas season. I'm glad we're talking about it in the context of Christmas and the Advent and the Incarnation. Um, and it's something I really haven't had. I don't know that I've ever heard a Trinity at Christmas series. Uh, so I'm kind of glad we're doing it. I mean, I'm not saying it hasn't been done, but I'm glad that we're taking that task on. I think a lot of people <laughs> get hung up with the Trinity because it can be confusing, you know, three persons in the one God. And um, and it, it can be difficult to like wrap our minds around. But oftentimes we start with that thought of like Trinity, three persons in one God. But people, uh, you know, sometimes are shocked to learn that the word Trinity is not actually in the Bible. The reason we come up with the Trinity is because the Bible talks about the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And so the the word Trinity was a later development used to kind of like capture this idea that the Bible is teaching, that it, it teaches that there is God the Father, He sends the Son, His Spirit uh, does various things in Scripture. And, and so, um, you know, there's different teachings. So oftentimes our lack of understanding the Trinity has to do with our lack of understanding the scripture. So we, right. we need to go to scripture. It's not enough to just try to think about, okay, three persons in That's one right. God good, yeah. and try to wrap our minds around that. It's like, no, go to scripture and just see what scripture says. The father is doing, the son is doing, the spirit is doing. And then you will understand a lot more of what the Trinity is. Uh, it's another matter whether you accept it and believe it and trust it, but you, you'll end up understanding a lot more of what the Trinity is and not just trying to wrap your mind around a philosophical idea about three persons in one yeah one, th one this being. is better worked out in the narrative of scripture correct um and so yeah well one of the things that we we started with yesterday we talked about the father is messengers from the father messages from the father hearing the father's will discerning the father's will obviously this story that we looked at uh very profound gabriel the angel gabriel um comes to mary and speaks to her and she's terrified. Um, and I, I said that just to kind of rest on that point, I said that one of the things that I think Christians get hung up with is they kind of, they just want all of God's revelation us to be like that. Like God came to me in a vision and said this, or, um, you know, I talk to Christians all the time and they're, they're looking for these little clues as if God would rather speak to us in these kind of hidden mysterious ways right. than in his like very clear ways. Hmm. Um, and I just think that's interesting that Christians operate that way or why we're so prone to operate that way. When I think these same Christians don't really hunger and thirst to understand what God has revealed. Um, and to understand what God has revealed in the context of a body. Um, I think it's very easy. You know, you were talking this morning, Barrett about, I think you didn't say this word, but, being self-deceived, mm -hmm. right? I mean, you were talking about like self-justification, but right. in a sense, self-justification is like the willingness to be self-deceived. Mm. Um, well, what keeps us from being self-deceived? What keeps us from reading anything we want to in the Bible? Well, it's the body. You know, I mm. think if I'm sitting down with you and we're both Bible scholars and we both are taking this seriously and you're like, well, I think this is saying 
to me that I should go and rob this bank and <laughs> give all the money to the church. Hmm. You know, I'd be like, I don't know that that's what the Bible's saying, you know, and, and we can look at that together and discern um, and hopefully find truth together. So I think these gifts that God has given us, the Holy Spirit indwelling our lives, the Bible that's been revealed, the church that he surrounded us with are often neglected so that people can, I'm using air quotes here, hear from the Lord in these more mysterious kind of ways. Mm. Um, and I just don't think that that is A, biblical, or B, uh, pleasing to the Lord. Uh, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I thought you you had a you made a great point yesterday <laughs> that um, you know Mary being visited by the angel Gabriel is not a normative experience. In fact, it's a very like extra special revelation. So we need to put that in a category of th this is God. You know, one time in history coming to one person through an angel, right? Um, and so it's a very extra special revelation, whereas the normal Christian life has to do with waking up in the morning, reading scripture, you know, and then I, you know, you read something that maybe challenges you or kind of gives a rebuke and that's the Lord speaking to you through his word. Like that's the normative way of how God speaks to us. It's not sending the angel Gabriel in this extra special re revelatory kind of way. And, you know, I like to talk about the two words, spectacular and supernatural, right? So when I think about that story, it is spectacular. <laughs> the angel coming and speaking. And, and I remember wanting, like yourself, uh, early, you know, wanting God to reveal himself in those different ways. But when I open up the Bible and I, the Bible says a natural man cannot understand the things of God. But the Holy Spirit is the one who reveals. That revealing is supernatural. You know, it's a it's a supernatural experience when God opens the scripture to me, and I couldn't see it before when I wasn't a Christian. So, you know, it, again, it's just understanding and I and, and I like to talk about things in the context of relationships because if if I if I'm if I'm building a relationship with God and not a transaction with God, if I'm building a relationship with him then then my walk with God and all that Jesus has done, it gives me access to God mm. to experience him on a practical level every day in leading my family and making decisions and 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 receiving, you know, from from the word of God, from his servants as, as I come to church and I'm, you know, I admit the word is being ministered to me. So I'm building that that relationship. So it's a mm. that's a supernatural encounter experience. But yes. It's not spectacular, but it is supernatural. Yeah, I think that's a really good word. I mean, yeah, and I think it's supernatural and it's amazing. Like the fact that, you know, three brothers could sit down with the Bible and discern the will of God for something is an amazing thing, even though it's not this spectacular event that happened. Um, it's no less amazing. It's no less supernatural. You know, one of the things that, one of the questions that we were asked, I, I talked about how angels are different from us. One of the things that we can learn from angels is that God's judgment of them seems final. Hmm. Um, and we had a guy write in and he asked about, um, you know, um, second Peter two, four, for example, God did not spare the angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains and gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment. And then in Jude 6, same kind of verse, the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal change 
under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. So interestingly, and again, now maybe at the judgment of the great day, you know, something happens with the angels, we don't know. But interestingly, the Bible does not seem to say Mm. that there is any sort of means of grace or pathway of grace for fallen angels, that their sin is final. Um, And I think that's incredibly instructive for us. It wasn't really about angel sinning. It was kind of about an angel obeying, right? Gabriel comes at the father's behest, if you will, Hmm. to deliver this message. He's obeying the father. That's what we're supposed to do. Um, But uh, I do think that's just an interesting question that was brought up. And I think it is one of those things. It's like, wow, we, that could be true of us, right? God would be no less just and no less good if because of our sin, he condemned us to hell, Hmm. period. Hmm. But he has been merciful. He has been gracious. He has sent us a redeemer, a savior in Jesus Christ. Um, and that makes this season all the more special. I'll, I'll be perfectly honest. When you said yesterday in your sermon that it it appears in scripture that there's no pathway for redemption for angels, that was the first time I had thought about that. Yeah, uh, it was, it, That was like, whoa, oh my goodness. Um, maybe, maybe it shows how man centric we are, (laughs) but I mean, I, I just not had that thought. Um, but I think the thought that it led me to, and as you preached, you know, the Advent, uh, text that you were preaching, it made me so much more appreciative of the grace that the Lord has given us as, as humans. Right. Uh, And it's like, wow, that is amazing. Cause I don't think the Lord would have been any less just or any less good had, Jesus's blood somehow provided a way of redemption for angels as well. So I, I don't know how to no. work all that out, but yeah. it's like, praise the Lord that he has provided a way for us to be reconciled right. to the yeah, father. Jesus didn't come as an obedient angel, right? No. He came as an obedient man yeah, uh, to redeem men and women, to redeem us. That's and right. so um, I do think that's a, it, 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 it gives a nice juxtaposition to this gospel that we oftentimes take for granted. Hmm. Yeah, and I think sometimes we don't understand eternity because, you know, when when in Genesis 3.22, when God drove out Adam, it was an act of mercy because had he taken, he would have lived forever in that state. Hmm. And so we talk about eternity. The angels are in an eternal state. They're, that's Their spirit will live forever. So if they make a choice, it is permanent. And so there is no redemption for for, etern- for, for eternal beings. Mm. We are temporal beings, and and God drove them out of Egypt, out of out of uh, not Egypt, excuse me, out of the garden, so they would not be in that eternal state. Mm. And it was an act of mercy when He drove them out. Mm. That's an interesting thing to think about. We'll, we'll have to bring that up on another talk back. But I want to move on to um, the fear of the Lord um, that we talked about later, and and knowing God as just creator and or knowing God as creator and redeemer. And I do think that's really helpful. Of course, I'm getting those ideas from John Calvin, but I think that sometimes if we just know God as creator, um, there is a sense of we owe debt to him that we can really never repay. Uh, And, you know, I think Luther illustrates that so well, but I think we all kind of do you know, some of the most religious people, you know, that don't really know the grace and mercy of God in the gospel. They're just trying to kind of religious their way into, um, into pleasing God. I mean, you obviously did ministry in a Muslim context for years and years and years. 
Um, I don't think that Islam, for example, gives you a theology where you can love Allah. Hmm. In fact, you kind of despise Allah, you know, he's always making you do these things. I mean, there, there is a sense where he is a taskmaster. There may be a sense of kindness or goodness or the goodness of the earth, but there's, there's not a personal kind of kindness like we have in the Christian gospel. I, I think that's the difference. It's the relational aspect yes. <laughs> and how the Bible talks about God in a very relational way and how he relates to Israel first through the entire Old Testament. I mean, he's he's relating to Sorry, Israel. Yeah. Dying over here. Oh, you're good. You're good. We know you were struggling yeah. in the sermon yesterday. I'm, I'm feeling okay. It's just I got these coughs here. Yep. But yeah, relational, yep. relational way. Sorry. Yeah, I think it's... Um, and so I, I was, so it's interesting, um, you know, I kind of think of it, knowing God as creator, it's almost like the difference between like a deist, a, a deism mm. type of faith where basically God created the world and he set it spinning and it, it's just, it's just running now. And he's very distant. He stays wrong. away. Uh, but I, I think a lot of Christians view God that way because they haven't experienced the, the relational personal, uh, communion that, that God provides for us through Jesus and through the indwelling of the spirit, through the through Jesus covering our, our sins and, and his blood washing away our sins. And then the indwelling of the Holy spirit. Like we, we have a very relational, personal, intimate God that we spend time with. Um, and, and so, yeah, I, I mean, I thought it was a great point. Like if we just know God as creator, we can kind of hold him. And I think, I think this is what Muslims do. We can kind of hold him in this awe of like, wow, he's amazing. He's done so many great things, but he's still so distant. And I found that with every Muslim that I talked to, Allah was so distant from them. And, and it, we were you know, I would always try to say like, he's, but he's come close to you in Jesus, you know, and, and that's, that's the hope that we have. And that's knowing God as redeemer is he's actually come close to us. And, and I love what Paul says in second Corinthians five, that he's reconciled yes. us to the father yes. reconciled is like when a relationship was broken and then you come back together in yeah. your relationship, it is reconciled. That's at the heart of of salvation and redemption is that reconciliation. So the coming back together of an intimate relationship. And because of that reconciliation, we can now call him Abba, which is again, that's a, that's right. What? Yeah. <laughs> Abba, Abba, you mm -hmm. know, that that's a very intimate word. Mm. And, uh, and it's not just that we can call him Abba. Actually, the spirit of God inside of us calls exactly. out Abba. There, yep. There's a yeah. sense yeah. where yeah, exactly. evidence that you are in Christ is that there's now a spirit of God inside of you that knows God like that. Exactly. It's, it's not just a mental ascent. No. It's not like, no. okay, now I understand Christian doctrine and therefore now I know that I have a personal relationship. No, it is that. I mean, that that's not nothing, but it's more than that. It, it is that you now experience that personal relationship. I, I, I experienced a personal relationship um, with Jesus before I understood all these things that we're talking about, you yeah, know, right. I, I never read, you know, I didn't read Institutes of the Christian Faith by John Calvin or whatever before I understood <laughs> that 
the, the, before I could realize that the spirit of God inside of me was calling out to the father hmm. in that kind of Abba way, that, that very personal loving way, I knew that God loved me and, and not just loved me generally, hmm. that he loved me particularly, that, that there was particular grace that God had displayed toward me in his providential care of my life in his meticulous sovereign hand over the experiences and the people, the way that the gospel was applied to me, the power of the Holy Spirit coming onto me and regenerating my heart, that I felt a particular love from God. And that changes your life. That well, I mean, back to the Luke yeah, one, the Luke one passage, <laughs> like the angel is coming to Mary and saying, greetings, O favored one. Yeah, and I think it's a like very God powerful is having idea favor on yes. this i mean how old was she you know she, very young girl and god is having favor mm -hmm. on her like in a in a way that he noticed her and he knew her and said like you know god's favor is on you it's amazing and, and you know and because of that favor right uh, that i have with god then that favor follows me when i'm because I'm a marketplace guy. When I'm mm. when I'm walking out into the marketplace, mm. God, God's favor is on my life, and uh, because of that relationship I have with God, and that it's more than a transaction. It's it's an intimate connection with God that allows me to reconcile others to, uh, to the Father. And I think that gets back to the first point. If you know God like that, as the favored person then you want to be about his redemptive work. Like if he tells you to go and make disciples, if he tells you to obey him, like, like I don't want to obey God because I despise him, but because, oh, well, he's got all the cards. I want to obey God because I love him and because I know that he loves me. And that's the difference, I think, in Christian obedience. It's mm -hmm. not just this performance. Mm -hmm. It actually is obedience and love. Well, and I think, I think it's the difference in seeing salvation as God saved me, now I get to go to heaven. And the difference between seeing salvation in terms of reconciliation, that it's actually reconciling a relationship. And, and the way that you get to know someone in a relationship is you get to know them. Like you, you, you know, so with God, he's revealed himself in scripture. You know, my wife is revealed to me in a different way. I interact with her on a daily basis, but I could not make an effort to get to know my wife. Uh, but I do, I want to get to know her. She wants to get to know me, you know? And so we spend a lifetime like learning all kinds of intricate details about each other. And we can do the same thing with this God with this, you know, father, son, and spirit, and we can get to know him. And as we get to know him, we grow in our relationship yes. and our intimacy with him. So it goes beyond just knowing the acts of God, but knowing his ways. Yeah, that's know? right. You know, hey, you know what? Person says, oh, that's, that's not how Sandra thinks. That's not her way. So understanding God in this way helps us to understand not only his acts, what he does for us, hmm. but his ways, how, how he, how he is. And this is, and because he's this way and because he's in me, then I have a, I have a propensity towards uh, being involved in, in redeeming <laughs> others to God and bringing people to, to Christ. And uh, this is part, I call, sometimes I call it the family business. You know, mm. I'm a part of the family. So the, the family business is, is, is redeeming, is bringing people back to God. And so mm. it's a natural outflow of my relationship with God. That's good. That's probably a good place to end. John Barrett, thank you guys so much. For John Posey and Barrett Fisher, I'm Jason Dees. Thanks for listening. Mm -hmm.